This is a production of Epic Media. And welcome to episode two of The Shop Night. We are here at our new production studios at the Weir's Machine Racing Products headquarters. Uh, the new headquarters right here in Bangor, right off the interstate. Um, super excited to be here. It's episode two, episode one here. Uh, nothing permanent, though. We're working off a card table, and we're surrounded by a bunch of Ultra Force machines. So if you need an Ultra Force machine, uh, give them a call and buy one so it can get out of my production studio here. <laughs> um, but super excited to bring our guest into here. Uh, somebody that you know we've most of us have grown up watching are familiar with, uh, uh, kind of a hero to you in Steve Holshausen. Yeah, very excited to uh, have Steve coming in tonight. Uh, was really surprised. They s- we were looking for guests for, for episode two, and uh, Drew and I were talking, and I'm like, let's try Steve Holshausen, and lo-, lo and behold, he answered my message and said he would be more than happy to come on tonight, so I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing Steve tell some stories. Yeah, I mean, the years of racing, the stories that he's had, you know, from the Arco, the ASA days, he's kind of driven really any kind of car, you know, as far as a mid in the Midwest here. Um, so very knowledgeable, um, you know, and has a, a really a unique perspective. And so super excited to uh, to sit down with him here in a little bit uh, and see what all he has to say. Yeah, he told me he'd tell me about racing. He just wouldn't tell me where his fishing spots were. So. Um, we're just going to have to bat 50%, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll we'll stick to the racing here today. Um, but what do you say? Let's get into uh, turn one lap one. Yeah, let's do it. It was the first lap, man. What are you doing? All right, lap one, turn one. Uh, a couple things in the short track world this week. Um, it's something that I, the first one here, is something that was new to me. Apparently, it's not new to the locals. Um, Speed 51 puts out an article, practice day at the Snowball Derby. Uh, $500 to the super late model winner of practice. And it blew my mind. I was told I was wrong. Um, that is something they've been doing, but it's the first I've heard of it. The first I've heard of any track rewarding practice time. Um, I'm kind of speechless. I don't know what to think about this. I don't know if it's good for short track. I don't know if it's bad for short track. Maybe it doesn't really matter. I don't know. It's just one of those things that, like, I'm not 100% for. I'm not 100% against. I I just don't know what to think about it. Um, I know what I think about it as uh, as a competitor. Um, I don't I don't win practice. That's never been something I've ever been. Hey, hey, we won practice. Like, let's go home. You know, that's it. I don't know it. To me, it just doesn't. And that's always been racing, right? You know, you go back to, you look at NASCAR practice. Why do they use the red and the black? Because it's over. The session's over. The checkered flag is for a winner. You know, so that's why the red and black is used rather than the checkered. They go a white flag and then the red and black flag. Um, Or, you know, the time just is done. You know, so as a sanctioning body as a as a series like that's why that is used because practice is literally supposed to been for that is practice and now you're turning practice day into now a race event and it's more than you know you make on a local you know five hundred dollars is what you make on a local late model race and so to me it just it just felt off 
um, like I said, I've been told I'm wrong. I've been told to not worry about it. That's just what's been done. Um, but it was just, again, one of those things that I read, and it just took me back a little bit. Um, you know, guys, if they're a tenth off, if they're half a tenth off, if they're maybe a couple hundredths, a couple thousandths off, are they going to bolt on because they know where they gave up that time? Are they, you know, if they're deciding whether or not they want to bolt on, you know, maybe they thought about it, maybe they didn't. Does this $500 incentivize them to go bolt on four new tires at probably 600 bucks? Um, maybe if I have some of these guys' budgets, it does, but not me. Um, I don't know. You just, you don't, you don't get a trophy for winning practice. It just, it does not equate to me. And it, I don't know. It like, to me, just like you, it, it just doesn't wash. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's probably no big deal. It's not my money. It's not my car. It doesn't affect me in any way. Um, you know, but just something was, something was off about it. And the second topic I wanted to bring up, um, it came from NASCAR. I don't really necessarily want to talk about how it affects NASCAR, how NASCAR has to do with it, um, but it was the fine coming down to Bubba Wallace for intentionally spinning out, uh, I think it was Kansas. Texas. Um, Texas. And, you know, it got me thinking, you know, guys on the short track level do it. If they have a tire go down, if they have a mechanical issue, they park on the track. As soon as the yellow comes out, they take off and go again and into the pits. Um as the, the Tundra Series race director, we do have it in our rule book. Should we judge you did that intentionally, you brought out an intentional caution, I believe it's a lap penalty automatically. We've never used it. Um, NASCAR didn't do anything about it until Bubba admitted it. Again, it, it, it's just one of those lines, you know, we talk, are there too many rules in NASCAR? Are there too many rules on the short track level? Is this one of those things that on a short track level is just going to happen? I think it's going to happen. It's competition. People are going to do it. You, we talked about this where in NASCAR, you cut a tire, you're going to lose two or three laps. You cut a tire on a Saturday night show, you're, you're out of the race. So, you're, so you as a competitor are going to go, hey, if I stop on the track and I get a yellow, we can get a tire changed, and we still have a chance yeah, to do something. There's no cautions. There's no, you know, cautions aren't counted. You know, so as soon as you stop, you're basically frozen. Um, I've seen it before where a race director will let the field go by one time. You'll sit there. You put down a lap then. Um, I've done a quick caution where if we can get that line back up quickly, um, that person may roll out kind of as they're coming to green. So it's almost like they're starting in the pits. They come out half a lap behind to try to deter it. Um, I just don't know. You know, and I want to ask Steven a little bit as a, you know, as a racer, what do, you know, when, when they know that happens, how, how do they feel? Is it just one of those things that's part of the sport? It's part of short track racing. You just know it's going to happen. That guy does it because you know that if you need to do it next week, you're going to do it too. That's the gentleman's agreement. I think we talk about the gentleman's agreement a lot. And what are the definition? <laughs> what is the definition to some people's gentleman uh, gentleman's agreement? Quote unquote. Yeah, and I, I think the less that the series has to be involved, the better. You know, it's again, it's one of those things. If the, uh, the same person's doing it every week, you know. Obviously, something's up. All I can say is if you have an issue, don't don't refire the car as soon as the yellow comes out. At least put on a little bit of a show. Um, let the pace truck come out, and then all of a sudden let it come out. But, you know, it's the worst when all of a sudden you see, you know, smoke out the exhaust as soon as the yellow comes out. It's like, come on, dude. Um, at least let the pace truck or the, the tow truck push you. You know, make it at least look like you needed to be push started. Yeah, you know, make or something. Make, make a show. Make it a show. Right, exactly. You know, so those, again, kind of one of those things that I don't know, you know, I don't think the series needs to be involved. I don't. It probably doesn't 
it was something to talk about, you know, and so just seeing stuff on the national level that just kind of made me think um, about short truck racing. Or does it police itself at some that's point the thing. That's amongst, what I want to ask the, amongst the driving community? Does it police itself? Yeah, that's what I want to ask Steve. You know, racers, racers are better at kind of keeping racers in line, I think, than officials are, so... All right, welcome back. We into the studio here. We have the man, uh, Steve Holzhausen. Uh, how you doing, Steve? Good, fantastic. <laughs> Perfect. And you, you brought some some nice drinks for us, so I appreciate that. Oh so yeah, I, was, I figured you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so y- uh, you know, I kind of wanted to bring you in. Kevin had reached out to you. Um, you're he'd he's really looked up to you, kind of you know, from a child. I remember watching you race. I remember my dad flagging your races at lacrosse. Um, you know, and so we're super excited. So I guess we can kind of dive right into it. And, you know, where, where did you get the start? Where did the passion for racing come from in you? Well, it was pretty easy. My dad used to race. And when I was growing up, he was done racing by that time already, but he had cars and guys were driving for him. So I was always in the shop. Always wanting to do stuff, help, and whatever. So, so who was the first guy to jump in the 78 after your dad quit driving? Um, actually, the, in the 78 car. See, he, he helped guys in town at West Salem there when he had the body shop. But they had their own numbers. Uh, I think the first guy was uh, Everett Fox drove the 78 car for, for dad. And then there was like Bud Schrader. Okay. And oh, there was one other guy, Freddie Freddie Beckler. Oh, really? Was the last guy to drive the car before before I jumped in. Then yeah. And how old were you then when you kind of when you were hanging around the shop? And then when what you know when you finally got the the keys to to be I able think to drive? we figured I was around eleven when I was hanging around the shop trying to do stuff he'd give me a box of nuts and bolts and tell me to sort them <laughs> just to, to get give me stuff to do yeah <laughs> get you out of their skin or before, out of their he'd, hair. before he'd start letting me work on the car at all but yeah was that something that you were you know you were always asking to help you were always wanting to be around you know you were kind of this pestering until you finally got the the to be able to jump into it pretty much lived in the shop from young on what was that conversation like when you finally when he finally said hey you can you can you can go drive it. I was, I didn't even have a driver's license yet when I started driving out there, and that was kind of unheard of nowadays. It's pretty common, but uh, I used to. I don't I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I I wanted to drive, and well, finally he said it was okay, I guess, and we had a wrecker. It was a 1950 Chevrolet half ton. And he'd run around with that at the body shop, picking up wrecked cars and stuff. Well, that's what I had to pull the race car over to the racetrack. Now, our body shop was right behind the racetrack. So I'd just jump out <laughs> really? on the, yeah, there's, right before you hit the uh, Lacrosse River, there's yep. a bridge there, and our body shop was right there. So all I had to do was run up the road with the wrecker <laughs> in the car behind, and I'd drive it up there and unloaded. Nobody knew the difference. They, they kind of thought that was funny, I guess, for a while. But July then, I turned 16 and, and uh, 
just kept going from there. But so that that would have been in the hobby stock days, right or what was right that? Right in the late model. Right in the late, right model, late yeah. model. Wow. And that was the Mustang? We had a 70 Mustang that was stolen off a dealership's car lot in Black River Falls, and they took it out, and they destroyed it destroyed it they beat all the windows in jumped up and down on the roof and whatever and it was going to the junkyard i guess but it was it was you know almost brand new when we got it just had to beat the dents out and uh, we put a rear end in it and whatever else um i guess he had some pretty good stuff by then it was uh 1973 when i started so that car had a couple years on it with, I know Bud drove it and uh, Freddie drove it also before I did. Yeah, so. I, I remember seeing pictures of it probably on one of the, like the lacrosse area racing page somebody posted and it was a picture of the 78 and they're like, guess the driver. And everybody's like, Steve Holtzhaus. And they're like, no, you're wrong. So it's always cool to know um, the before of the the Steve Holtzels in 78 days. That was actually my dad's number. Okay. That you're probably going to ask me that, but that's where that came from, so so you just kind of kept with the tradition. I guess I'm still I'm still can't wrap my mind around the fact that you got your racing career started in a stolen car that was all beat to hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are the best stories, right? Yeah. Those are the stories that have to be told. So then who is your hero? Growing up, you'd been around racing. You'd been around. Did you go up to the track at that time? You know, because I know even lacrosse, they had strict rules. I think you had to be 18 to get into the pits. You know, you were still pretty young. Were you up in the stands? Or, you know, who do you remember watching? Or was it that family connection? Well, I actually worked at the racetrack. Uh, there were two guys that owned the tr or were running the track, owned it at that time. It was Larry Weirs and, and uh, Miss Morris. Uh, can't think of his first name but anyway my brother and I would go over there after the races and pick up all the empty cans and put them in bags so we were actually working there before oh, you, and, I even you and Greg started, yeah okay before I even started to, to race but uh, I would have to say probably trickle we all we all used to I know even when we were old enough to go to the bar afterwards, we'd get done at the racetrack and we'd have to go to Chromie's, you know, and watch Trickle perform there. He was <laughs> almost as good as on the racetrack. <laughs> and then on to the next track you went. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I I really got to know Jimmy Bach really good as I was racing, but I guess right away I would say it was probably, probably Trickle that, he was pretty good back then. And so you started your career at lacrosse. How long did you run lacrosse before getting out and starting to travel and tour? Um, that's pretty hard to say. We started racing at the Dells on two. Um, probably didn't take too long because he used to run down there once in a while with one of the other guys too. I remember him pulling a open trailer with a 63 Ford convertible. Davy Fields? No, he was pulling the oh, he was race, pulling car, the race with, car with a convertible. With that convertible down to the Dells, yeah. Oh, jeez. 
<laughs> but when I started racing down there, I guess he he probably had a, I think he had a motorhome that we just pulled it down there with, and then the whole family could get in there and go, you know. But I don't really exactly remember the dates. And so back, you know, you, in the 70s, starting off as a 16-year-old kid running against Trickle and running against those were you the young kid? Kind of how did they, you know, how, did they respect you? How did you, how did you gain that respect from those guys during that time? Well, that was probably thanks to my dad. Now he wouldn't let me start where I qualified, being young and everything, and probably shouldn't have been racing yet. He would make me start in, in the, the back, back, you know, and the fast qualifier would start in the back anyway. But start in the back and learn how to pass cars. And, you know, not run people over and whatnot. Don't get in the way. So, I don't know, it probably took a couple years of that, you know, was where he would start me. Of course, then once once he could see that I could pass cars and not, you know, wreck and whatever. So that's where the so that's where the Steve Holtzhausen that I watched growing up was, was born, huh? Like the guy that was very patient with the pass and didn't put his car in a stupid place to, to get a position. That could be, could be. Yeah, cause that, that's one thing that I always remember of you, you know, rarely in a wreck, but when the time came, you could you could pick somebody up and move them out of the way and not wreck them. Um, you know, and I think it probably speaks to those days of, you know, your dad was, sounds like he was pretty strict on, you know, on how you raced and you, you ran against those guys as a kid. You know, basically, where you had to earn the respect, and I think that might be something that's different in today's world. That they they think respect is just there. You know, that you can send it in there. You can, you know, if there's half a car length, you can make a full car length. And you know, back then, you you had to race those cars, with, and you were racing against guys that ran those cars five or six times a week. Yeah, you just didn't race that <coughs> way. No, see, and then I ended up doing that too, racing with them pretty much full time there for a while, and. That's the thing. You, all those guys were pretty much buddies, and they knew that they had to race again the next right. night. And we don't want to have to pound fenders out because we want to go to Chromies too yet tonight. <laughs> well, that probably had more to do with it than anything. Huh? <laughs> the after party was more important than the checkered flag, huh? Yeah, Jimmy Bach was still drinking coffee when it was time to go qualify next day. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it kind of leads me into another thing here uh when did you start when did you start traveling with those with those guys uh, would that have been on the like the cwra circuit or well it was after i you know i buddied up with toby that was that was over snowmobile racing he had a sled and he was racing it, and then he decided to put me on it, and we kind of got to be buddies, and then pretty soon he was helping on the race car. And when was that? Huh? Do you remember when that, like, about what year that um, was? I think it was, a, like, a 76 Polaris, so somewhere right in there probably. Um, and we decided that, in order to go racing, we needed something better for a car. So we were trying to build our own stuff, and we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. I guess at that time, we were, you know, making laps and learning. And what I ended up doing was pretty good friends with Steve 
Burgess, and he had a couple cars for sale, and we went and looked at them. One of them was a car that Trickle had built for him. You had the Granada? Yeah, and we ended up buying that car. He wouldn't sell me the spindles or the rear end <laughs> out of it, but he had a BOP car sitting there, a BOP BOP. And he said, I'd sell you the spindles and rear end out of that. Well, we ended up putting everything together, and we hung a Fairmont Futura body on that car. Didn't come with a body, of course. And we bought a a big block engine from Billy Ellis and put that in there, and that's when we, we kind of got off on our own then, me and Toby. We had a couple other guys that would come in and help too, but we were pretty tight. And we started doing some traveling then. And that car ended up being a really good car. How uh, instrumental do you think was, was Toby to your career starting off? He was a pusher, still is. I mean, he lives in that garage, and when he goes home at night, he's still living in the garage. He never never thinks about anything but that race car and, and that had a lot to do with with how Steve did so you wouldn't you know hey let's let's throw the wrenches down and go down and visit chips before we go home for the night no we got to get this done you know and <laughs> yeah he was let's not work tomorrow night no we're gonna work tomorrow night we got to get that blah 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 done you know okay I mean, yeah, he was a pusher. So the tribute, um, let's let, let's just look forward. Let's look at Ty Majeski. Do you think a lot of Ty's success is really Toby driving him? I mean, is it the combination of Toby's ability to drive someone and someone with a lot of talent that's put that that's put Ty where he is? We've seen him work with a lot of young racers, and and he's done a lot with them. Uh, uh, we raced against Ty Majeski before he got with Toby, so I know what he's done with him. He's he's come a long way. He's come a long way and still going. You know, he's he's a good racer and and Toby puts good equipment under him. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that I I never knew of. You know that Toby had worked with you. You know, and that you two had kind of blossomed into into you know during the Arco days and during during all that. Um, so that was something that I was, you know, that, that you know, I was glad to learn, you know, kind of from your days. Yeah, we we did a lot of stuff together. Um, usually he didn't wanna. I had a chance to. Uh, this was even after Art Corps. We quit racing Art Corps because this Dondi Motorsports out of Wisconsin Rapids happened to call us up calling me up and wanted me to drive their car and they wanted to race down south well Toby's like oh no we, we don't want to do that we're, we're having fun we're good where we're at you know and but what year was that talked him into it it was uh 1991 okay. and I think yeah it was the year of that too but uh at the same time I Gene Coleman had given me a car to to R&D for him and we had that going really good, so I had my own plus his, and and things were going really good. And well, I talked them into doing it, and I think I think we figured we'd put 
64 or 65,000 miles on that summer racing down south every weekend. Was that a series down there? Or it like was a, a late model car that you it guys It was a NASCAR All-American Challenge Series and uh, All-Pro joined. Okay. And we went down and... What tracks and, were you running? Uh, we were in Florida, Carolinas, Virginia, you know, Alabama. We had four bush poles, set two track records, finished second in the points with one car, one motor, and raced out of Wisconsin, held down full-time jobs, worked on the car at night, and left every Friday if we're down south. And when we'd have a weekend off, we'd run a special around here. I remember one weekend we had off, we ran out to Colorado and ran a special out there. Was that you wanting to do that, or was that... Was that the crew Once we the got going, then he, you know, then he was all gung ho. <laughs> you were along for the ride, huh? Yeah, we were. I mean, shoot, we run the snowball derby and and New Smyrna. Not well, not New Smyrna with that car. We ran Volusia, and we had had really good success with that car too. And that's after that year. Then I got a call from Baker Motorsports to run there. ASA car. Well, on he didn't want to do that because we were running really good with the stuff we had, but got him talked into it, and he actually ended up moving to Milwaukee and working on the cars down there. Well, and that while was, I was still working. That would have been the '92 season. '92 right? season. And you yep. were you the rookie of the year. Yep. In the ASA yep. national series. Howie Leto actually left that team, so Toby ended up being the crew chief going into that which we never ran we ran a couple asa shows but never like that you know and once we got going again i was <laughs> how many years did you run asas then with the with the baker team yeah uh, that's a good question i don't remember was it on and saying. off you kind of no that, that was you? that was steady at that time with baker and you guys are traveling all over the country with them right yeah, and then him and Howie didn't. Yeah, oh yeah, Canada, yeah, all over the place. Um, him and Howie didn't get along very good together. <laughs> Toby had his ideas, and Howie had his ideas. And neither neither one of them were probably wrong. So. No, I'm. <laughs> I mean, Howie had some really good stuff, especially uh, road course stuff. Boy, you could really make a car run. And I ended up having fuel pump trouble at. Uh, Oh. Well, they they ran Topeka and stuff like that, didn't uh, they, around there? That's, I almost won at Topeka, yeah. <laughs> Did you run Brainerd, too? Brainerd, yeah. We had one up in Canada, Mossport. Okay. But uh, it was after Anderson, Indiana. We led all 400 laps and won, and it was during practice I pulled in the pits and Toby wanted to try his setup really bad. And the car was actually pretty pretty fast. This is a little bullring yeah. racetrack and, and I Anderson's really Anderson's pretty small. I right? really like them tracks, yeah. It's it really fits me. Um we talked Howie into letting him put the setup in for the last practice session and when I came off the racetrack I said, Don't touch it. <laughs> it's flying. And it was. They were qualified second, started on the front row with Mike Eddy, beat him to the line, and 
never looked back. Only put two tires on in 400 laps. We stopped once for a pair of riots. <laughs> they had some good tires back then. And at the guy, guys at the end of the race were coming in, Seneca and all them guys putting tires on with how many laps to go, and they couldn't get by me. <laughs> That's something I didn't know about. So I, I learned something tonight. Didn't did not know that you made those those trips down south. Oh yeah. Then it was uh, then Howie didn't like the fact that that he had his setup in there and we did that. It got back to the shop and he didn't even measure anything. He tore it all out. And then by the end of the season, he wanted Toby gone and, that and he wanted me to stay. And I said, no, nah, if you're getting rid of Toby, I'm going with. So that was after the 92 season? That was 94. You say Tony Raines took over for you, didn't he? Tony took over then, yeah. And ran good in that car too. We ended up up at uh, race, race Motorsports Lake. Race Lake, yep. yeah. yeah. And then it wasn't full time, but uh, they got Toby set up up there, and he was doing cars for Trickle, and I was testing them and uh, whatnot. So you were running around here then during the yeah. in the short track stuff then yeah, during I kind of the mid nineties there, jumping in cars. And yeah. you came back and drove for Burroughs, didn't you? The black, the black pot, that black part, that black uh, Grand Prix. I don't know if it was then yet. I probably drove for Paula Knutes and oh, yep. her husband there. Yep, yeah, you did for a while. Yep. yep. Besides what you know, what we were doing with that deal. But man, that's crazy to think that you know you have Holly, you and Toby all in the same <laughs> shop, and what what could have been. Yeah, I'm kind of looking on it now, and it's it's racing though, right? That was pretty cool at the time didn't really realize you know what we had there but and getting some big teams too I knew what I knew what I had with Toby because we that by that time we'd been together so long it was like taking an arm off me getting rid of him you know no we're not gonna what's do that, that like when you have when you have a good kerchief you know you look at you know in the kind of that cup series you know the, the Jan Johnson Canales yep. you know now you have Harvick and Childers, yeah, Truex and, and uh, Pern. How important is that relationship, even on a local level, for you to be able to have somebody to bounce ideas off and then your relationship with Toby of 20-some years? Is there even much communication that needs to happen at that point? It's funny that you'd ask that because he, we both understood each other so good I could get out of the car and I didn't even have to tell him. He could tell by looking at me, you know, pretty much. And, say you know well maybe we should try this or whatever uh, a lot of people always says yeah you should give him a wrench that don't fit the car because he's always wanting to try <laughs> this let's try that and i i know he still likes to try a lot of stuff oh yeah but, uh i i think it's really important to to have a guy like that that uh understands you and and i think him and ty majeski are are the same way they they understand each other. Does that give you a confidence as a driver to go out that you know he made a change, but you have the confidence that he made it better? Or, you know, for, for you as a driver to have that guy kind of in your corner, you know, when you go out there, is there a different kind of swagger, I guess, to know that you guys, you're not just doing it alone? It didn't even matter to me at that time. Whatever 
we tried so much stuff that it, it wouldn't even bother me if it slowed you down a little bit. I mean, we'd throw it in for qualifying, no big deal. So you didn't get fast time, you got fourth or something. Yep. Okay, well, we figured out that that wasn't right. So let's try this then, for, you know. But it was just two guys having fun, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I learning. Think, I think what what you describe in Toby is the same thing I've seen in Toby the times I've been out in that shop. He just he just wants to win. He wants you to be successful, and that's what makes Toby go. I think that's why he why he does what he does to anybody that drives a Toby car. Yeah, it don't even have to be a Toby car because I I can go out there and visit with him. We go snowmobiling together, and and he's. Here, try this. You know, he's still, you know. <laughs> so I wanted to go back to the 1987 season. Um, you were awarded the first ever Larry Dietrich Sportsman Award for ARCO. Um, what did kind of what did that mean to you back then? Well, I got to race with the Larry, so, and I used to go and talk to him because he was he would at least talk to you. Some guys <laughs> won't. You know, he was really a nice guy and everything, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. You think that's some of the respect the 16-year-old kid learned that his father made him learn that gave that, that gave him an opportunity to – He was all running then, and I don't know how the award, but, I mean, that was kind of the heyday of art oh, was yeah. – you know, So, you know – it's not like you were the young kid anymore, but no, but it, you know, when you look at the names that were there, you know, the fact that the first one is always kind of that the prestigious one, and you know, so I, I think it, you know, it's it's a pretty high honor, you know, I think it says a lot about your character yeah. in racing, you know, with those guys since the yeah. time you were fifteen, sixteen. I guess if I was out there moving guys to, to gain positions and stuff, I probably would have never got that award, but, but. Thanks to Pops, I <laughs> had to learn it the way he wanted it done. And more, more meaningful to earn something than to buy it, I guess, then, than it's compared to now, maybe. Yeah. Um, so after the ASA days, um, you kind of came back. You, you started to run super lates again. Um, was it difficult to come back and just run, race around here? Or did you, just, you were just a racer and you just wanted to race? It wasn't hard at all. Uh, I know it's hard for some guys to come back from – from running NASCAR and stuff like that. Uh, but for me, I, I was still jumping in people's cars that, you know, I'd go over to their shop and help them work <laughs> on. It was yeah. no big deal. I just wanted to race. That's all. I didn't care. It didn't have to be pretty or nothing. I tell my kid that all the time. He, don't worry about what it looks like. Just let's work on it and make it go make fast. Make sure it runs. Yeah. Um, do you think – you know, looking back at the success you had in the 90s, um, would your career have been different had social media been around, if the access to the results had been around? Um, you look at, we, we now know the results, you know, we know when these guys are winning. Do you think things would have been different for you then? Because there's a lot of this that I was around here and I didn't. I was around the racetrack and I never knew, you know, well, kind of the success that you were having you, on the national level. You picked up a you picked up the checkered flag racing news to find out how how well he ran at at, at Marshfield or at the Dells or at Plover. You but really it, didn't you didn't have Facebook or um a, a a racing show to tell you how everybody did. 
It may have. I, I mean, I was pretty old already by the time Don even picked me up to go down south. You know, I had paid my dues, and you know, a lot right. of guys were getting into ASA before that. But so maybe it would have made a difference, I guess. Right. Who knows? Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I look at, you know, all the success that a lot of guys had in the 90s, you know. And it was it is different then. You're not, you know, you're in your 30s, you know, it's not, you know, you aren't in your teens anymore, you know, that, that now if you want to progress up into NASCAR, it seems like you have to be. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be any good at that anyway. <laughs> Just a racer that wanted to race, I can't even huh? run the, t- the TV remote, so... You just want to you just want to drive, just drive. let let the results speak for themselves, yeah. right? And so when you came back, um, you know, and it's what I remember kind of recently is you and '97 car. Um, how did that relationship with Pete kind of get established? And then what what does Pete or you know kind of what does he mean to you and personally your racing career? Well, I met him when he used to help Jimmy Bach, and Jimmy Bach. When we got hooked up with him is what really excelled my racing career. He taught Toby and I so much stuff. I mean, he was a chassis builder. You guys had bot cars. I always remember you guys having bot cars. Once we got hooked up with him, then we really started going places. And But anyway, Pete was racing, and I was racing for uh, Finetti down in Milwaukee there. And Jimmy Box said, he told Pete, and Jimmy told me this too, he said, I told Pete every weekend he'd bring, or after the weekend he'd bring his car out to the shop and needed a new stub. <laughs> he says, call up Steve and see if he'll drive your car. Well, Pete don't have a lot of money either. It's nothing real special or fancy. But uh, so when I was in a- ASA racing with uh, Finetti, I'd go run his car, and we got to be pretty good friends. And Jimbo was around to help us to start with that. And well, once I left uh, Finetti, then then we started racing more and more. Well, then I ended up back at lacrosse racing again then too. But uh, it wasn't until after I was done at lacrosse that I raced for Pete full time then. You came back to lacrosse, and then Skyler Skyler was driving with you then, right? Yep, I won the championship in 2003, bought an extra car, and started setting up for him. We were go-kart racing with him, but I wanted to get him out of that. and So as soon as he was old enough to get in that car, then we started working that was, on what him. That was about 2005, I think, right? Because yeah. I think him and Mike... Mike Carlson, Carlson came into the same, you know, which was kind of, you know, I think for the local fan, and I hope they, you know, kind of saw that, you know, you and Steve Carlson battled each other, and then it was, it was kind of neat to see the rookie battle between Skyler and and Mike. Mike yep. um, what was that like for you as a father, you know, being able to watch Skyler, um, you know, work on, you know, work on the car, get into the car. He would have been what sixteen probably, so very similar path to what you had taken um did you take some of those lessons that your father taught you with him um what was that like for you as a father watching your son out there it kind of 
wanted to make your stomach turn inside out for <laughs> me anyway i i had a hard time watching him uh i think the first time i i had him at the racetrack i had him jump in the car and go out and just warm it up well, i turn around we're the only ones in the pits and he's He's gunning it out there. He's just giving her. And I'm like, we didn't even set the tires on that thing. What's he doing? <laughs> and also I ended up with I ended up with both cars there and I had him just follow me around the racetrack. Now here's the groove and then I'd start picking up speed and you know, had him working that way. Uh was the nervous more cuz you weren't in control or was it cuz you you knew what you wanted him to do but you know what was that like you know kind of where did that come from it was kind of kind of scary that way i rented my car out a few times to other guys and i couldn't watch them run the car either because i was afraid it was going to come back in a gat <laughs> basket and i suppose that's what i was thinking with him too but he actually got to the point where we were going around with him behind me and and he was right on my butt and showing his nose under me and i was given her full blast you know so I'd, okay you're ready well and i i wouldn't let him start where he qualified either i made him start in the back learn how to pass cars before we gave him the go ahead to start you know in the pack so there's a lot of money in them cars and it's like you know i don't need to be wrecking that stuff what was more satisfying for you your first win or watching skyler get his first win well, I don't even remember my first ones, but I remember his. Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah. Was it? Where was it? Lacrosse. That was at Lacrosse. Actually, I was still racing with him, so he beat my ass too. <laughs> Is that when the uh, setup secrets stopped? No sharing of information anymore. He's he's got a ended up with a pretty good feel. He must take after his mom. <laughs> Um, what kind of, so you, you've been racing for, you know, 40 years or so. What have you seen the progression like through the sport, um, you know, with today's modern technology, um, you know, kind of, where do you see it going? Is it, do you think it's good for the sport? Do you think it's, you know, kind of what, what's your take on all that? I'd like to say that I like it, but I don't really like it. It's like, you know, whatever. Whatever the cup guys are doing eventually trickles down to uh, what we're doing. And it seems like it's it's uh, getting to be more and more expensive and more technical. you got to buy fancy equipment, you know, just to keep track of what you're doing and whatnot. And I don't know if it's maybe taking some of the fun out of it. You can have a car going go to the track and test and it's like really fast qualify really good but you get 20 laps into the race and you're going backwards faster than than you went forward you know and it's like well, where did we miss that it's it never used to be that way when you had a pretty good car it was pretty consistent you know is some of that technology or is some of that the level of competition has increased uh technology because more people can get, more people can get better things now, than maybe previously. 
Is that just some of everything? Just is it is it a combination of a lot of things? Maybe not like, necessarily technology. Like buying Toby's cars. <laughs> well, that's, and well, that's what I look at. I mean, if right now, uh, you know, the Fury cars and the Toby cars seem to be the the things to have, and they're not real cheap. And the guys that are buying them aren't real fast unless they have one of their guys yeah, working right on there, them. you know, helping them. So it's like. You got to have the whole package too. But do you think those guys, you look at the guys that are making these chassis, do you think they can make anything fast? You know, you look at a guy like Toby, a guy like Chris Wimmer, is it necessarily the Fury or is it the knowledge of the team that they have with them? You know, you look at your success with Toby, it probably didn't matter what car, what kind of car you guys ran. You guys just knew how to set up a race car. I think, I think that of Toby uh i think chris probably learned enough now working with that car but those cars are really nice i mean they're you can do things with them that you can't do with you know some old cars uh, we haven't made that move yet and probably never will <laughs> but um, a lot of it has to do with the cars but uh, a lot has to do with the, the guys that are setting. It's them still up a too. people. It's still a people business. I, I think, if Skyler had Toby setting his old box car up, he'd make it go a lot better than I do. Cause you know, I was always in the driver's seat and not trying right. to think about how to. Make you it go you just you like just make Toby. it go fast and I'll drive it fast. Yeah. If you could have raced a NASCAR, would you have? I had a chance to go with Bobby Labonte in uh, the Bush series, and I turned it down. Why is that? My engine builder set it up, called me up, said, here you go. And I, I don't remember if we had one or two kids at the time, and it was like, I don't really want to move down south and and do that gig what what year would that been around was that after the asa days or in the uh, middle of the asa uh, days it's probably more like in the middle of the asa days i guess 94 94 95 i think his car had slim jim on Nin it so bobby labani went to cup in 93 i think so it would have been would've like would have been 93 i think he went to davis in 93 or after the 93 season. Or, yeah, or after the 93 season. Mike Cole oh, started driving for him then. Okay. Is that something looking back? No. You, you regret it at all or no? <laughs> no, I I was being like Toby. I wanted to stay and race around here. I mean, things were, were good and, you know, uh, having pretty good success. Uh, so I was happy. You're a racer just having fun, huh? Yeah. It was never necessarily a business. No, we weren't gonna we weren't making big money and we kinda figured we never would, but uh I guess who knows. I just I I don't even think about it anymore. I don't even worry about it. All right. When I kinda wanna go into I think it was two thousand ten. The wreck at, was it in qualifying down at the Dells? 
practice. Um, in practice. The throttle hangs, I think, going yeah. into three. Um, what did that do to your, not necessarily career, um, but just even mentally for you, um, having a wreck that bad, kind of where you were at in your career? Well, we had cars going really good at that time. Um, didn't really screw me up mentally, I guess, but physically it did. I'm really feeling it nowadays, and it's hard to work. I mean, I need an ankle replacement and a shoulder replacement all from that wreck. And uh, it's hard working every day with, but I want to wait as long as I can before I get the stuff replaced or <laughs> I'll just wear it out. You have to put it back in again. Yeah. So it, it, it was more physically. I mean, we raced after that and, and raced good. That car, uh, Gary Bach had done a lot of work to it got the weight really low in it and everything and it was really really a fast car and all the car that replaced it and that was like a 1985 86 model Bach car and the Skyler's got one of the newest ones and it's still the same as what that car was <laughs> but um, the one that he got to replace it wasn't really as fast as that one but they you know we won a lot of races with them anyway. But as time wore on, wore on there, I, I could tell my body wasn't going to be as good anymore. So I knew at a certain point it was time to get out of the car. What's that transition been like for you? It wasn't that bad because I had a race car in the shop sure. yet to work on and I mean, I'd be out there every night working on that, too. I just don't have Toby there working <laughs> alongside me. But I'm happy just going out there working on it. And I would say if it wasn't for me pushing Skyler, he did already said we got to call it quits because he's got a young family trying to pay for a house and doing his work and whatever. So, uh, But for me... I'm pushing him now, and we got to keep going racing. You know, <laughs> we're not racing that much, but he's a good shoe, and like I say, it'd be a lot better if he had somebody that knew what they were doing working on the car. They should give me a wrench that doesn't fit anything. Too. <laughs> Has it been easier watching him now as opposed to you know 13, 14 years ago when he'd first gotten into it? Yeah, it doesn't even bother me anymore. You just I uh, dig it. Yeah, that's your racing you, fix now, huh? Yeah. You've transitioned into your you've transitioned into your role now. Yeah, I'm good. Would you get back in a car if somebody said, "Hey, Steve, you, we have a car this weekend"? Happens all the time. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> well, he's done. Done is done, huh? Not that I wouldn't like to, but I just know better. The itch would come back full on, huh? Yeah. So, so if I said, uh, so if I said, why don't you jump in Johnny Gilbertson's Refner Javelin for? For a race, what would you say? He asked me. Well, I'm going to ask you again. Oh, nah. <laughs> I'd like to. Nah. That's, that's, it's better that, not. that's the same answer his dad gave him back when he was, you know, 14, 15. So if you just keep asking him eventually, yeah, eventually we'll, he'll say we'll, yeah. we'll wear you down. Yeah, that's, that's what we'll do. So and Kevin had brought this up. So now you're kind of you're working with Skyler. Um, you're playing a role in the uh, – Trickle Memorial, 
playing a role in the uh, Trickle Memorial Project. Um, what's that been like to, to help see that kind of off the ground? Well, I don't do what I probably should be doing with those guys. Uh, I mean, a little bit of money here and there is about all I've been doing so far, but my hat's off to to the boys that are down in the trenches digging for them. It's, it's a pretty cool deal. Somebody that's never been to the Trickle Memorial kind of knows what it's all about. Kind of what would you, what would you, how would you describe that to them? Well, right now is a good time to go when they have their memorial every summer because there's some of Dick's good buddies that used to race with him that are, you know, helping put this thing through. And you can still talk to them and hear some stories. And, you know, that's, that's the part I like. Yeah, I, I very much, I very much enjoyed talking to Tom Refner, um, and then you know having Tom drive for us at Oktoberfest, and just just being able to talk to Tom has been a lot of fun. Stories from uh, Marv Merzavka, um, Richie Bickle, of course, is always entertaining. Um, just a lot of the guys. I didn't get a chance to talk to Johnny Bogeman this year um, at the at the memorial at the I don't know was it the unveiling of the statue this year that they did. Um, but definitely an opportunity to talk to history. If you're a, a racing aficionado, um, you're not going to get anything better from anybody anywhere else. That's that's the straight story. I had to miss that this year. I can't remember if it was one of my kids getting married. It had to be something pretty big because I couldn't <laughs> go. But Bickle's lucky I wasn't there. He never got the door. I don't know. I don't think anybody was taking that door away from <laughs> no, Bickle. Was it was, it it was going home with him. Yeah, I know. Yep. Uh, Tom, Tom is, is fun to talk to for me because when I bought my first bot car, I got mine, and his was the next one off the line. So we raced together, Jimbo and Tom and I, pretty close. We'd share tires and stuff, and we'd qualify and then run our used stuff and whatever. But, you know, I got to know Tom pretty good. But actually, Marv tells the best stories. Yeah, he, he told me about losing all his teeth in a wreck at Madison one time. He hit the wall so hard he lost all his teeth. So um, I don't know how he remembers all that. Well, <laughs> you could remember that one, I guess. But he, he tells some pretty good stories, and it, it, they don't seem to run out. I, I asked him once. I was sitting down at the lacrosse center at the car show with them guys and i said i just can't believe that you guys you know you used to fight on the racetrack door to door with trickle and now you're helping do this deal and well he said we went to school together we were we were buddies in the winter time marv said we'd grab a box of beer once a week and go to one of the guys shop and you couldn't keep any secrets because we were always <laughs> hanging around. And, of course, then there was Jimbo. He was, I don't know if he was 10 years older than them, but he was maybe a little bit of an instigator there, too. <laughs> the the all-night, right? But Jim it, was, it was pretty cool that, uh, that those guys had that kind of a relationship. I think it, it shows also the respect that they had. You know, those – you know, I think local guys can have that, you know, kind of as they grow up together, you know, from carts to sportsmen to late model. But those guys all traveled together, you know, and so I don't know if a lot of people knew kind of the respect that they had for each other off the track. 
Um, so it's, it's, that's really neat to see. Once in a while, it probably wasn't that great. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, if your guy was home putting a stub on, I think I remember Refner and Trickle hitting really hard in the old pit entrance. Mm-hmm. Tom, Tom told me that story. Yeah. Yep. I didn't think Tom would ever talk to Dick again <laughs> after that, or vice versa. But they got over it. They, they, they straightened it out. Yep. They were okay. Yep. So I we know. have some. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I know uh, even Jimbo would have an extra car, and if them guys didn't have one, it would come over and come and take one. it. Yep. Come take it. How many guys do you know that would do that? Yeah. Different, so, a different a different era, different yeah. time. So we have some questions, or we, we posted on Facebook today um, that you were coming in, and so some fans had some questions um, that they that they oh wanted boy. to know. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, we'll, yeah. We'll start off easy here. Um, did you ever sit in or race one of Trickle's cars? Yes, I did. I think it was Miss Kitty. Uh, Roger Burroughs bought that and, and uh, restored it. And then I raced it one time at Thomas Barda before they changed the track. And that was the only time I ever raced at that track, too. Um, Did you win the race? I ended up second. Uh, there was somebody else there that was faster than us. <clears throat> Usually what happens when you finish second. <laughs> but if you don't remember who it was, just, we can say you won. Just one guy. But it <laughs> wasn't too bad, uh, actually, for for, you know, putting it back together and I don't think it had a really big strong race engine or anything in it we just he wanted uh, Roger wanted me to race that car that night because for whatever reason and so I said yeah okay let's do it all right another another one here will you ever forgive Ziggler for the phantom caution during the 91 Dixieland or have you forgiven? Well, I didn't right away, and I still think about it once in a while. But yeah, I, you know, I let stuff go. I, I don't. So what happened it. there? Kind of what is some somebody must know the backstory to this. So explain what's the, what's the backstory to the '91 Dixieland? Well, we were we actually took a Coleman car there, one that Gene Coleman had given us to to race and was that the white was that the white t-bird with the purple rocker yeah okay it had some goofy that was that was the coleman that was or was that was the western auto was that the western auto looking one yeah okay that was it okay and uh we actually took that car to that race and (coughs) we had we had that car really working good gene had some really cool ideas that and we actually put some of that stuff into our Bar car that we were racing down south at that time and actually made that car better too but uh yeah i wished we could have won that race for gene but um we had to race leading and and had a big lead and trickle got the second but there was no way he was going to get to me it was late in the race and lo and behold somebody pulled over and stopped and brought out a yellow and uh, at the time, I was really pissed. Um, and even after they threw the green again and we got going, there weren't that many laps left. I was holding Dick off, but we got going into three on the last lap. We were coming coming to the checker, and I got a little bit of a quarter panel move on the <laughs> left rear and ran up the track and got by me just enough to win the race. 
we went back the next year and we had had the Baker car at that time and we won that race but uh I didn't forgive him for a while but I you know <laughs> that's old stuff anymore yeah. so is that, is that something did you go down there into the into the pits afterwards and talk about cuz actually you know NASCAR is kind of dealing with this right now Bubba Wallace at Texas just brings out a caution to save himself from going laps down this stuff's been going on for years. Is that something that you drivers just kind of go up to them and be like, what are we doing here? You just kind of move on and go, that's that was the race? Yeah, I never never was one for for raising a bunch of hell. I, I guess I, I probably never even talked to them about it. I knew what had happened, and, you know, it wasn't. wasn't what are, what are your theories? How did radio communication from spotters or? Hard to say. Never asked. <laughs> <laughs> not not important anymore. You you went and beat him the next year, huh? All right. Well, we're gonna move on. This is one of my this is one of my favorite questions. Um, uh, have you ever lost a race car going to the racetrack? Somebody actually wants to know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what year that was either. But we were going to the Minnesota State Fair. We had raced at the Dells, loaded up the car on the open trailer, and we're heading for. The Minnesota State Fair, so I don't think we were too low clear yet, probably. And I think Jay Sauter pulled up alongside of us and was waving at us and rolled the window down. Your car's gone. Well, it had come unbuckled and unloaded itself. <laughs> Turned left, shot across the median, shot across the other side, and kept turning left the whole time, so it never went through the fence on the other side. But it was leaning up against the fence over there when we got to it. And uh, all on the cop showed up, and he's like, uh, I just <coughs> talked to a guy back there, said something shot across. He was parked on the side of the road, still shaking, I guess. <laughs> something with a number on it shot in front of him across the road. Well, oh, man. it ended up being a state cop, and he grew up in Bangor. And he, he was actually pretty good to us. He let us go. We had to get a wrecker. He wouldn't let us just fire it up and drive it out of there. But we got it all tied back down, made it up to the fa uh, fairgrounds, and we had to dig a bunch of mud out of it, I guess. Did you go win the race, did though? You, yeah, did no, you win? <laughs> no, I think we had trouble. Then. <laughs> Something may have been a little bent, huh? I'm sure the cooler was full, and yeah. we, we still had fun. <laughs> You got the stories to the stories to take from it. Oh man! Yeah. Thanks to Jay for letting us know where we got up there. At least left the car behind. How far do you think you? How, well, first, how far were you away from the car? Oh, we had to go all the way to a to a exit so we could get off and turn around and go back. And I don't even remember how far that was. That would have been quite the shock to pull oh, pull into Minnesota and look back at your trailer and. There's, there's, there's no, no car. car. There's no car. <laughs> That's been a while ago. We we touched on the number. Uh, I'm gonna just ask this question: Your fiercest rival, your the guy you wanted to beat every time you were at the racetrack, competing against him. Who was that guy? Who was the measuring stick? Was it Trickle, or was it somebody else? Probably. I mean, he was winning most of the races early on like that. Um, I mean, it had to bend between him and, and Rapner. 
So the guys you grew up, the guys you kind of grew up and idolized were the guys that were your, that were, that was your measuring stick? The guys that you wanted to beat? I would say probably. All right. The last segment uh, that I kind of want to get into here is some rapid fire questions. Um, so we'll start with your favorite moment in racing. Favorite moment. Uh, I think the coolest race was the Anderson, Indiana. Leading all 400 laps was probably had to wet my pants on that one. <laughs> so that kind of the next question is the biggest win in your career. Would you say it was that race, um, or was there was there a win that kind of propelled your career either mentally or in the industry that you felt? Um, I got a chance to win some pretty big races, I guess, but uh, I never looked at it that way, I guess. So I don't really. So you were a you were a Dixieland winner. You were the first Trickle ninety nine winner, correct? Correct. Um, what did that win mean for you, especially kind of your career with your career with Dick? You know, for you to kind of be that first Trickle ninety nine at Fest. That was pretty neat. Uh, Fredrickson was actually really fast that night too. But, uh, Trickle was still there. We were able to get the the trophy autographed and everything. Uh, that was pretty pretty special. Where was your favorite track to race at? Wisconsin Dells. <laughs> I just loved short tracks. You were pretty good at the Dells. You were, we were you were pretty tough there. We were pretty good there. What's the hardest track? The one you just hated to go to? hard to hard to get a car to go really fast there I guess if you didn't know what you were doing so everybody says that kind of equates to being like a big lacrosse yeah but I mean that's what trickle told me was just put your lacrosse set up in there it should work there but didn't seem to ever be fast enough but maybe it was me I don't know you have too much time to think about the corner entry and going down the straightaways yeah. or something huh yeah, I didn't have the best luck at Michigan International either had had some blown motors and the, the car didn't work real good there, so it was kind of, kind of a little bit. And the ASA, tra the ASA traveled there. Yeah, right? yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, race road racing road trip memory that that kind of always comes up? Oh, not really. Going over Mount Eagle, I suppose. And losing the air brakes on the truck going <laughs> we were going to <laughs> Volusia for speed weeks and had to go down uh, the south side of Mount Eagle without any brakes. We were just flying down the hill. And, were you driving and a I was driving. <laughs> oh, not Toba. Okay. No. And uh, I should have probably took a run off, but um, I had the, the car owner sitting next to me who owned a trucking company that we were driving for and he was white knuckling it and <laughs> the cb was lit up with the truckers saying i had it out in the fast lane and we're just letting her book we made it oh man and you would think a guy would fix that while he was down there? No. Never no. fixed it. Had to come back over that big hill. Again. Well, you were going up. That would have slowed you down. I made sure I was driving when we went back <laughs> over it again, too. Oh, man. Is that one of 
those, you went, uh, you got halfway up the hill and went, oh, we never fixed there those. There was or? some times coming home from Wausau in the middle of the night when we'd shut the headlights off, we'd come up to an intersection and if we didn't see any headlights, we'd just blow through it. That's a northern thing. I, we did that in Medford because it was, it was all straight roads. It was out in the cornfield. So yep. you get to an intersection, you turn the headlights off, and you just hope the other guy come the other way didn't do the same thing. Yeah. We were talking about that one time, and Marcus said he used to do that. You know. oh yeah, he's from up there. Yeah. There's a story Kevin told me, and I think he's heard it through the grapevine, of, of hitting, some, hitting a deer coming back from Marshfield. Oh, yeah. I was coming home from Wausau. Oh. Yep, Toby was driving that night with an open trailer, and I was laying dead in the middle of the road, and we were probably doing 80 at least. And he straddled it, and, of course, the deer was – it was probably hot already and bloating, and it rolled it under the oh, trailer, the and all the, the, the meat car. and everything was <laughs> splattered up under the car. and The car stunk for – right? Yep. Well, the next night we were in Madison and they made us park way away from everybody and <laughs> after the car got heated up it really stunk it was bad oh, we pressure washed it and everything we got home like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning you know, cleaning it oh, that's man. usually what we had to do at the cooler too because Toby's <laughs> wife would get drunk and the only place to puke in the hauler was the cooler oh, so we'd have to wash <laughs> off all the good beer cans yet and <laughs> clean the cooler out so oh, you go can't, can't waste the beer oh man I got, <laughs> did, did you do you feel you ever had a rival in your career was there that kind of was there that guy that you know maybe you just couldn't get along with that just always seemed like you two were same same spot on the track every race. Mm, no. No. Okay. Easy enough. Is there a bucket list track um, to either visit or that you wish you w- could have ran? Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There weren't many that I didn't get to run. I guess. Probably not. Did you ever run any dirt or all asphalt? Oh, I wished I could have ran dirt. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to run a dirt track and never did. And that's probably a good thing because that's probably what I had. I would have had Skyler doing, and that seems to be the way to go right now. Do you think that's based on the rules or just the, the, the challenge? That they all are together, or is this. Is it a tire? You know, they're not, they have two laps of practice on a night, not two hours. That's one of the things that's good. I mean, they seem to have a really good rules rules package. I mean, there's some of the dirt cars that are, you can spend whatever you want on, but I think the classes that, that uh, bring in all the cars are throughout the United States are, have really good rules packages, tires. Like you say, you don't have to spend much time practicing. You show up, run two laps, go. Well, that, Chad just flew out yesterday to Vegas, and I want to say they're going to have like 300 modifieds show up to one race. Yeah. You know, we get 60 here, and we're like, wow. And they're like, that's cute. We're going to do 300, yep. which is it's crazy to me. Yep. Some will go home not happy, but. <laughs> Somebody always does. About 275 yeah. are probably going to yeah. go home not happy. If, uh, 
if their coolers are full when they go, it'll be all right. <laughs> well, Steve, I want to thank you. Do you have any other questions? I'm gonna ask one. I'm gonna ask one last question as a fan, as a fan of Steve Holtzhausen. Um, we had fifty. We've had fifty Oktoberfests, and you won in two thousand six, I do believe, or two thousand five. Both. How, you won. You won the two, big the big show. Two Sunday races, I won. Okay, and you say you don't remember anything. Yeah, I only thought two thousand six. I remember that. Well, anyway, how important or, or how meaningful is an Oktoberfest win? I mean, growing up here, doing having all the history you have racing, especially lacrosse. That's where you, kind of where you started, I guess. How important is it to check off an Oktoberfest? We came close a lot of times. <laughs> I know. I saw a lot of them. I mean, it seems like when Oktoberfest would show up. We'd always step up, and we had good cars, and I mean, I can remember running out of gas, leading, and this and that always happened. Remember a hood, remember cars. a hood coming loose and getting black flagged for a hood coming loose? Yeah, I don't. No, yeah. I don't yeah, remember see, that. Don't that remember one's that. gone. I don't, I don't remember, remember that one. It must have been the cooler was full that night. No, <laughs> I just remember him. But, I just remember everybody getting three laps to get out of the way because he was coming to the front. That's what I remember. Glad I finally got to win one or two. And say I just would think that um, of all of it, of the milestones, you'd think you know I don't know, meets to me, an Oktoberfest win would be pretty huge, you know. For as many years as I watched you miss, not getting that big one, it was pretty cool to see. The the first one I won was, uh, I know they had a they had a NASCAR race the night before there with. 20 cars and I think some of them were backup cars with pit guys driving them and then we had 60 or 70 cars the next day but it doesn't show me winning that one but I won that race with a two barrel carburetor against all the rest of the guys with four barrels. That was the year that like the challenge series or something paid more so that was technically the fast champion I think right? Yeah, uh, some, something weird in, the, in yeah. the rule book there. But then the next year, we didn't even come back with the same setup. We started running a three-spring car. We didn't have a spring in the left front at all. And uh, that car was really fast. That's the car they ended up hitting the wall at the Dells with the throttle stuck. But uh, that was when we started doing that, uh, we, had, we had some pretty good runs too. Well, perfect. Steve, I want to thank you for coming on, kind of taking the leap of faith with us here. Um, it's something that, you know, like I said, I've been a fan. Kevin's been a fan. Um, you know, and I know, you know, I, I think a lot of the listeners are going to enjoy hearing this story, so I definitely appreciate that. It's no problem. I, anything to get out of the house and have a beer and uh, talk racing, we're good to go. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. I, I learned a little bit more about somebody that I really, really loved watching as a kid and uh, don't don't mind drinking a beer with either. And uh, maybe he'll take me fishing, Drew. You, we have it recorded. Maybe yeah, he'll take me fishing. Maybe he will. Oh, he showed well, me pictures, yeah. so maybe he'll take me fishing. Yeah, we could. All right. I'll wait till it's 20 below and get you in the boat. Oh, hey. Yeah, I'm not, I'm sure I'm go. not going. No, he's going to go. No, no not him. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, you know, love to have you back on sometime, you know. I think a good one would be maybe you and you and Toby, or even you and Skyler sometimes. So or we'll maybe definitely catch you, you back the, in. catch you at the Trickle Memorial. Yep, absolutely for sure.
for sure. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yep.